What's good, people? My name is Shannon Ross, and welcome to All In Wisconsin, a podcast about reentry and reform efforts in Wisconsin and why you, no matter who you are, should care. The name of the podcast is All In Wisconsin because all of us involved in reentry and reform efforts are all in this together with the goal of more holistic communities and specifically a justice system more worthy of that name. And we are all in with our commitment. As for me, I am just a formerly incarcerated dreamer who knows there is a better way and is devoted to reaching out and holding on, even when it's uncomfortable, because connections and empathy are the foundation to true safety and justice. I spent 17 years in the Wisconsin prison system from the age of 19 to 36, where I acquired my bachelor's degree and wrote a variety of things, some published, and created a 501c3 nonprofit, which I still run, called The Community. For more about our work, visit our website at thecommunitynow.us or click the link below next to our email address. I'm also a graduate student at UW-Milwaukee for the Sustainable Peacebuilding Program, a community fellow with the Wisconsin Decarceration Platform, a co-instructor at MSOE and Marquette's Education Preparedness Program, a partner at Reentry Rising MKE, and a member of Unlock Higher Ed. Last episode, I mentioned we would have Dan Forchio, the CEO of Represent Justice, on this week but we decided to center the voices of those incarcerated first. So we will have Dan on in a week or two. For this episode, I interviewed John Delange. John has been incarcerated for over 20 years for robbing someone with a BB gun. That's right, a BB gun. During his time in, he has accomplished many things and been faithful to his progress as a person. If you know anyone who doubts the potential of incarcerated people, John is a pristine example of our value and humanity. Also, This interview took place over prison telecommunications, and it was our first one, which was done in my bedroom rather than the studio where we currently operate out of, so quality is not up to the regular podcasting standards. Same goes for our upcoming one with Roy Rogers, who is also incarcerated. Blame me and my tendency to build the ship as I go. More on that in my wrap-up at the end. So, uh, hi, uh, I'm John uh, Michel Delanger. Um, I was sentenced to 26 years, uh, for armed robbery with a baby gun, uh, I've been in prison now for 21 years. Uh, so uh, that's kind of my profile. Uh, I've been incarcerated at the Wisconsin Department of Corrections, uh, and, and I've been at at least probably six facilities now over the course of 21 years. When, when was it that you got locked up? 2000 exactly? Yeah, I got it. Um, I was uh, the crime was committed in 2000 and. Uh, I spent a year in county jail, and then I went into the prison system in 2001. Okay. And you were how old at the time? Uh, I was 24 years old. 24. So how how was your mentality then when you came in, when you entered prison? A summary of your mindset as a person? Well, when I first uh, entered prison, I was young, uh, easily influenced. Um, I was easily influenced under peer pressure, kind of looking for acceptance from others and things of that nature. And... It was a, uh, you know, coming in, you you realize when you're young, using drugs and not caring about a lot of people, I, I didn't understand empathy a lot. So my mentality was really kind of all about myself. Uh, however, um, after uh, now, now as a result of that, uh, what I've come to realize is, you know, 21 years, it could have a tremendous impact on somebody's mentality, and it's, uh, it's, it's changed a lot. Um, you know, as, as far as who I am as a person, uh, victim impact really helped me out with that. And 
kind of help me understand empathy and understand yeah. people and the choices that you make. So my my mindset is very different now. Yeah. Essentially, I know it was sort of destined for me was was a big thing too. I, I took it right when I came in. Um, so having that out the gate, I think, was huge because it kind of set a tone for me to start evaluating things differently. I mean, that was that wasn't the only thing, but it, it definitely had a big impact. So you have to say you're sitting there listening to people that were, you know, victims of crimes, big and small. You know, from somebody had his house just, you know, robbed or burglarized. He wasn't even there. To somebody else had their son killed. So it's just all these people talking to you, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, there's a, a thing called transformative justice I've become aware of recently, too. Where, have you ever heard of that one? No? Uh, I, I think I've heard of it. Uh, expand on that? They're not saying only, okay, yes, uh, we need to bring together everybody involved in this in a way where we're restoring, you know, things back to a place before the crime was committed, but we're transforming the entire concept of, this crime happening because we changed the dynamics that led to it. So not just the act itself, but the entire environment that incentivizes crimes like this to occur. And I mean, human nature is going to commit crimes no matter what, but you still have aspects of, you know, poverty and, and underprivileged communities and uh, racism and um, sexism and all these other isms and, and societal issues that we need to address if we're really trying to say we want to heal, you know, a criminal aspect or, um, a motivation to put people in these situations where they are victims and they are offenders. So it's it's just an expansion that I'm, I find very interesting. I'm just kind of getting into it a bit more. Yeah, but, I, yeah. So it's, it's, an, it's an interesting I concept. Through, uh, I went through a restorative justice program. Actually, that was kind of in in line with what you're kind of getting at, and it's really remarkable. Uh, I kind of, it's unfortunate. I really wish they had a system like that here. Uh, <laughs> I believe a prosecutor came over from New Zealand. It was a really great yeah. program uh, that they uh, helped us understand. And down, down there, say, for example, someone did what you were saying, like a burglary, what they would do in the community is that they would hold a court hearing and the community would come in and they would determine what to do with the individual. And a lot of the times what they would do is say, for the next two years, he's going to go around and restore everybody's fences, windows, doors, and things of that nature mm-hmm. in the community for the next two years. So what it did is it caused the individual to start to realize how important it was to be connected with everybody around him. And, you know, that restorative justice process takes place, and next thing you know, it, he feels like he's part of the community and he no longer wants to do those things. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great program Absolutely. if we have something like that here. Yeah, maybe one day. Absolutely. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> um so now when you you know you came in and you had that certain mentality and over time, I, I know you personally, so I know that's not your mentality anymore. Um, so what were some of the key reasons, the ingredients to... All calls other than properly placed attorney calls may be monitored and recorded. Do you want to ask that again? Yes. So what, what were yeah. some of the key reasons that got you to, um, you know, where you are now? Because, um, yeah, you're not the same mentality as you when you came in. So change my course and the... And uh, staying committed on that course is mm-hmm. Yeah. So, a couple of things actually. When I first came into prison, um, I I basically came in really hating who I had become. Um, and one of the good things about that is that it drives you to want to change. And so I I got really proactive in the beginning of my sentence in the, within the first two years, and I started getting involved in programs. And there was a, a program in Wapan, which was uh, based off of a program out of Canada. They had an 87% success rate of uh, 
people not going back on recidivism, and it's a it's a great program. It's based off of CBT, the cognitive mm-hmm. based therapy, and uh, anyhow, they uh, it's about two and a half years the program was. So what it does is it it takes you through a whole series of events, and what what's really remarkable about the program, uh, just to kind of give you a really good insight into this, because they don't just so you know the Department of Corrections. No longer, no, no longer offers this. Um, okay. But, so, but what they did initially, uh, uh, so how it works is the cognitive interventions program. It's like a program that motivates offenders to control their risk of reoffending by changing the beliefs and thoughts that support their criminal behaviors. So, mm-hmm. the housing unit was at Wapan. Uh, well, it was designed to provide an environment with within a maximum security prison to support the delivery of cognitive-based therapy for, um, like, each of the programs that they had, which was CGIP 1, 2, and 3, Victim Impact, Community Service, Anger Management, um, Able Minds, Long Distance Dads, Smart Recovery. And what this did is it exists as an alternative community within the institution that helped to isolate the offenders from anti-social prison subculture. So that unit encouraged the involvement in pro-social activities, such as everything that I just explained to you. And so as a result of that, you can only imagine if you're in prison and then you get put into this subculture into prison and you're encouraged to go through all these programs and you're encouraged to change in a pro-social environment and you're isolated from the prison population, it just has this tremendous ability to succeed. So needless to say, it's a... It, it was probably one of the best things I ever did in my life, and as a result of it, I, after I went through the treatment, I ended up becoming a mentor in the program, and that in itself, I think, was kind of the catalyst for me um, that really allowed me to change my view, because now I'm on the other side, helping others get away from criminal behavior, trying to change criminal thinking and things of that nature. Well, the facility asked me if I was interested in going down to Red Granite and doing the same thing down there and helping with their program. So I went down there and did that for another five years. So I was at Red Granite for that time, and then uh, from there, I just it kind of it, it never ended for me. I just it was always proactive in that aspect. So it was a really great first 10 years of my incarceration of just being pro-social and, and, and having the ability to change. And victim impact was probably in that program as a whole, was probably the yeah. one program that really resonates the most, I think, with everyone because they bring in victims from crimes. They bring in judges. They bring in prosecutors. They bring in college students. They bring in social uh, social workers, and they bring in parole agents uh, and people from all walks of life, and they you have open dialogue with them, and you discuss these things with them, and you really get a sense of community and the understanding because when you do your victim impact statement, yeah. you basically go back and you you write your wrongs and you figure out what you did and you, you write an entire victim impact statement and you send that out to the Office of Victim Services and and you take responsibility for what you've done and then you move forward. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much uh, uh, the reasons why I changed. Yeah. You know, I, uh, it's, just, it's striking to me time and time again how obvious I think as I go through life and how frustrating it is that decision makers don't pursue programs that are you know the DOC maybe itself I I can't always explain the DOC I think it's more than the DOC it's you know it's 
largely communities that allow politicians to play the Stefan Crown card that then kind of cause this domino effect of then the, those decision makers continue to not do anything about the, the system or make laws that are more punitive than kind of healing and solution based. And then the DOC has the same culture. And so it's just striking to me how obvious it is that that human aspect of connecting people, that making them kind of be around each other and talk and, and, and exchange their experiences is so palliative. It's so much more effective. Than yeah, you, the you way it right on yeah. I don't think, I'll be honest with you, Shannon, I never, in, in my entire incarceration, I've never seen something more successful than what you're saying now. And I've seen it in so many different programs and so many different, so, I mean, I've been involved in 17 programs since I've been incarcerated. Yeah. And in these programs, what you're talking about, when that comes about, it, it's an incredible shift. You see it in the people that are involved in the programs. And it's like, I think that the sense of being human and creating a sense of uh, uh, an environment where people can actually genuinely, you know, talk to others and feel remorseful and express that and go through that process and be treated as a human, you, it's, it completely shifts your, your perspective. And it's, uh, that's mm-hmm. not something that you experience in the courts. It's not something you experience in the justice system. Yeah. So because All I calls think, other than properly placed attorney calls may be monitored and recorded. I think that's the one thing that we're missing, you know, in the justice system is the ability for victims and community to work together and to find solutions, you know, that are actually yeah. helpful, that are yeah. counterintuitive. Yeah, I would, I would strongly disagree that it's the one thing we're missing, but I, I agree that we are missing it, right? <laughs> I think yeah. it's a lot more than one thing that we're missing right now. But, um, yeah, no, yeah. So, so now with that, so over time you're doing that program and you – um, started out with that, that good platform of um, the Victim Impact Program. What what things have you done in the course of your incarceration that you feel are an achievement or uh, that you're proud of? Well, um, I'll be honest with you, there's, there's quite a bit. So I took an interesting approach to my incarceration when I first came in. Um, I had a mindset that um, there was, you know, there was a saying that I read years ago, and it said, don't count the years make the years count. Mm-hmm. So, right. and what I, what I came to realize is that, um, I, I came to realize that I can spend 25 years in prison, you know, just wasting my time, or I can spend the next 25 years doing something very productive with my life. And, and I think that was when I realized that I needed to really take, take a whole different approach, um, towards the way I looked at prison. Because I looked around me and I saw a lot of people that, you know, and to be honest with you, um, just felt lost and just didn't have any direction. Now that was me, of course, coming in, but I was really determined to not be that way. And so just to give you a summary of everything I accomplished in my incarceration, um, I'll just go through a, a gauntlet of information here real quick. So I, I finished uh, CJP 1, 2, 3, uh, Anger Management, Victim Impact, uh, Long Distance Status Restorative Justice, Correctional Science Program, uh, framework for recovery, AODA, personal development, uh, hub program, and CAD vocational program, which is ironic that we're talking about this because you and I were uh, in the CAD program together, and, and uh, it's kind of a, uh, how it all comes together here. I, after I uh, did the CAD program, I ended up uh, going into work for Badger State Industries, and from there I ended up uh, taking part of an apprenticeship. Now. The, going back to your question about my successes 
during my incarceration. One of my um, accomplishments that I'm really proud of is um, this apprenticeship hour I recently, recently completed was a 4,500-hour, four-year drafting apprenticeship through the Department of Workforce Development. Mm-hmm. And while working at Badger State Industries for seven years, um, as a result, I became a journeyman draftsman uh, with extensive skill and work experience in drafting and design and specializing in mechanical drafting. So I took this uh, apprenticeship, and I really, uh, I really kind of took it to a whole other level. And what's really neat is Badger State Industries kind of creates this platform where they give you everything that you need to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So from there, I went um, from that. Uh, I, I stayed working at Badger State Industries for quite a few years um, before I transferred. But in that, during that time, um, I had a chance to um, work with prisoners assisting with service dogs, which was another great accomplishment. So I trained in conditioned service dogs for handicapped individuals uh, in the community, worked directly with veterinarians in the healthcare and uh, for service dogs. Mm. And yeah. That was probably one of the coolest one minute remaining. Uh, I had been in. Um, and uh, also I was a, a public speaker. Um, so I presented talks before selected high school and middle school students, uh-huh. uh, taking personal responsibility for the crimes I committed while encouraging students to think about the choices they make every day. So I continue to do that now, actually, at this facility. Yeah. I do public speaking for high school kids. Um, mm. They come in usually once every couple of weeks, and it's a great program. Um, I did that in Red Granite for a couple of years, and then I've been doing it here as well. So it's, it's been an ongoing uh, program that's uh, it's really amazing because the, the high school kids that come in, you get to talk to them, you explain uh, your crime, you take personal responsibility for it, and you try to encourage them you know, to make better choices, and it's a, they do a Q&A for about an hour and a half. It's, it's a really great program, and uh, mm-hmm. I try to stay proactive in that, which I plan on doing when I get out, which I think is, a, again, it's just a, it's a really great thing to do for the community, and I know it has a huge impact because the kids usually write us uh, at the end of the year to tell us how, how it's affected them, so it's been really yeah. good. Yeah. But the, the other thing I, I just wanted to highlight real quick, um, one of the things I did with that drafting apprenticeship is, uh, um, if anybody ever goes on Google and just types in the word Oak Hill and then Job Center, and when Google does its search, if they go to images, um, it'll show um, all the stuff that I designed. Uh, it's the, the Job Center in Wisconsin was the first job center in the prison system, and they, they asked me to design it for the Oak Hill Correctional Facility. And uh, okay. so the Department of Workforce Development came in, and now they their employees work inside the prison. It's the first kind in, in the United States. It's pretty cool. And uh, so what they're trying to do is make it so that there's job centers in each prison. So when the guys leave, they actually can connect with the Department of Workforce Development with the employees and get jobs before they leave the prison system. And okay. they're doing that now. They took the designs and everything I did, and now they're incorporating that in all the other prisons. So you should be seeing something... Uh, at the end of this uh, year coming up with all the other prisons opening up. But that was one really good accomplishment. And then um, the other one is uh, I had I did artwork as a hobby. It was kind of a thing I did while I was in. And uh, I, I, I was published in a, in a book on the streets from North Light Books, uh, Strokes of Genius 8. Um, it's, a, it's a really neat book. They just they basically take 140 of the best artists 
around the world, and they they collaborate with them, and then they put artwork inside the book. And nice. it's a book that's published every year, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, very cool. And then there was the UWM uh, signs as well that you have on our campus. I think okay. you mentioned the the signs that you made that are on the UWM campus as well. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Shannon. I'm totally spacing on that one, man. Uh, yeah, so uh, glad you brought it up. Uh, so I actually ended up um, designing, drafting and designing uh, $2.3 million worth of signs uh, for the UW system around the country, or around, not around the country, I'm sorry, about the uh, state of Wisconsin. And I did a lot of stuff for UW, uh, the UW system, especially Madison, La Crosse, UW-Milwaukee, uh, Oshkosh. You know all the signs that you see at UW-Milwaukee when you walk down the halls? Mm -hmm. I helped design those, uh, especially for the freshwater sciences building. I don't know if you've been in there yet, but... No, it's funny that we're dealing with them in my program a lot, so I'll have to go there sometime. I'm pretty sure as soon as COVID's done, because we deal with them a lot. Well, when you get in there, you can see the signs, all the directory signs everywhere is what I did. And then, um, so then... I ended up doing stuff for the state. Um, a lot of the really, some really cool stuff. But the neat thing about UW Lacrosse is from the ground up, I designed their science systems. They didn't have anything for the state at all. And they basically, um, from zero to where they're at now, it's, it, it's really neat if you ever get a chance to see it on the campus. But they they spent quite a bit of money uh, getting that up and running. And it took me, I was on that project for almost three years, uh, designing stuff. and. That was a really good project, uh, but aside from that, a lot of the stuff that you see in Milwaukee at the MATC, all the tech colleges, um, the municipalities and state, so like Devil's Lake, uh, signages. So if you go to the zoo or Devil's Lake or anything like that, there's these signs that are called interpretive signs, and when you walk through the park or when you go through the zoo and you look at stuff, you can see how the signs explain nature or your, where you're at and that, that kind of stuff, and so I designed those. Um, it's they're kind of it's all spread out throughout the state. It's really kind of neat because now when my son uh, kind of goes to parks and things of that nature, he he reminds me of the signs that he sees and stuff that I worked on. So that's been yeah, a cool. really great <laughs> little extra plus to be involved in that. And if you ever yeah. want to see any of that stuff, it's uh, if you go to shopbce.com, you can. They just uh, the website went up a couple of days ago, um, which is where I'm working at now, uh, the product development center. Now, I don't know if I ever told you about that, Shannon, but that's where I'm working at right now. And that's a little unique because it's a tie-in from where I was at in um, in Stanley. And what's really fascinating about that center is it's it's uh, it's at Oak Hill, and it's, uh, it's a new addition um, to BCE. And what it does is it promotes digital assets, so like websites and things of that nature. So we take... Um, uh, we do engineering production down there, and we design products for BCE. And then afterwards, we develop those products. Um, we put them into uh, website development, and they call basically uh, white pages or digital assets. And mm. um, so it's really neat. They work with the light. Yeah, very nice. I don't know if you've heard about all that stuff at all. When I was when I was leaving, okay, I remember they were talking about doing some things like that. So um, yeah. I, yeah. So yeah, it seems that they have gotten it up. That yeah, that's that's one of the you know things that I think you find in the system that does have some correlation to uh, reentry success. That is that is very cool. So yeah. 
That's nice. Yeah, just to, just to add on real quick, that one of the interesting things is I got sent down here specifically to help them open up that shop because of my journeyman's background. They wanted to help with the, uh, the drafting and design. So they ended up setting up all these creative sweet cat programs in SolidWorks, and then I came down and helped train the new guys that are in the apprenticeship here. So because I was the, the first person in the state of Wisconsin to go through a, a drafting apprenticeship, they had me come down here and help start the apprenticeship in Oak Hill. So now I'm teaching uh, two other guys, no, three other guys right now, so they can get their journeyman's license down here. So it's kind of neat that it came full circle after all of this the last 10 years. So yeah. they're really doing a great job of trying to help people get some really good skills before they go home. So it's definitely nice to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Um yeah, so I mean, it definitely sounds like you're a stereotype. You haven't been doing much while you're in prison, so you know that's good. Um. <laughs> right. Now, I just want to be clear: this is not normal. Just so yeah, we're yeah, clear. right. <laughs> but it's, I'm but it's also with, it's probably like less right. than one percent because it's definitely. far of you. But it also demonstrates the you know the potential of of achievements there if people have kind of a structure from the very beginning, setting them up and incentivizing them to do things that are productive. I, I feel like the system is, yeah, a lot of people in the system, no matter what, they're going to just, you know, not come out with much of a skill set or much of a mentality of, like, hustle and try and really grind in a productive right. sense instead of in a legal sense. But at the same time, there are a lot of people in there that could be siphoned into a productive and a positive uh, journey in their life oh, yeah. more so if they had incentivized in that way. Like we, we have these honor wings and these honor dorms and all they use it for is, you know, to be a good little boy. Well, why don't you have those honor right. dorms and those honor wings where you're incentivizing me to actually do something with my time? Cause right. right now I'm in survival mode. I have to deal with this dude that I'm forced to live with. That is a you know, drama all the time or this loud environment or these staff members that are on these piddly rules that do nothing yeah. at all for me as a reentering society. They just, are something that what I have to deal with now because they want to keep me in line for no other reason than to keep me in line. So just all of that can be tied into a more um, a, a streamlined way of getting a person. Oh, I hundred percent agree. Think you can achieve it, right? Yeah. So it's just it's, they can do it. It doesn't even cost money. It's just the way they structure it and the culture. That's it's funny. It's funny you issue. say that because right now at this moment, there it's a small. When I say small, I mean it's a really small example, but. You know the Second Chance Pell Grant program, right, for uh -huh. guys to go to college? So the Second Chance Pell Grant program is set up so that guys at METC can go to college. And uh, all in 45 days, I'll be done with my associate's degree. I'm involved in that and signed up with yeah. that. But they have a unit here that has set up to where all the guys that are in college can come to this unit. So in a way, they kind of like incentivize. The yeah, whole exactly. But yeah. I can tell you this much. The great news is that that money is now being, I don't know if you saw that on the news, but the bill was Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It will be three yeah. years, though. It won't be anytime soon. They have a lot of red tape yeah. they have to get through. So it'll be a little okay. bit before it actually goes through. But, yeah, no, that's that's great news. There was a lot of uh, congratulations and, and happiness amongst a lot of groups out here about that getting passed. So, nope, definitely. That's a big thing. Sorry, um, we'll in. Yeah. Um, a couple of points. I know you mentioned about the don't the, don't count the years, make the years count. There's a lot of little phrases like that. I'm sure you've encountered too about you know don't do the time, don't let the time do you, do the time. And just uh, you know do yeah. So there's already little phrases I ran into that were that were pretty clever that have a deep insight actually even besides yeah <laughs> seeming like they're just little uh, you know uh, hokey phrases. But then also yeah, we didn't actually meet um, in CAD. I was in that classroom because I was finishing my I was taking my classes for my degree. 
And so I would be in that class using those computers. And you were the tutor, I think, in CAD at the time. So it'd be, it would be me and you a lot of times with just the teacher. So that's kind of, I think, where we met. was not really in the program, but in that room for uh, various purposes. So, Which is awesome because oh. it, was a, it was an environment for thinking and creative thought and what have you. So I wish they had more yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, that is another goal of mine to get some of that going. Just to highlight something real quick, uh, you, it, knowing someone like you in prison is actually pretty motivating, and I'll tell you why, because when someone like you comes through, it's, you stand out so much because you see what you're trying to accomplish. And you might not realize this, but you affected a lot of people uh, coming through the prison, uh, pursuing your degree, and everybody knew that, and they saw how determined you were. And they just couldn't believe how effective and determined and, and focused you were. And I think guys weren't used to seeing that. And when you left, it, it really motivated a lot of guys to go to school. So I just figured I'd share that with you. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool to know. Yeah. <laughs> I know Jeremy. If you remember Jeremy Taylor? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he so he was one of the first people I met when I got there. And just seeing him, I because he was my study for a while. I just actually just, he was visiting recently back from Florida to see his daughter. And so we, I just went to him at his brother's house yesterday. But, um, yeah, see, meeting him was a big motivation for me to step my game up because he was doing stuff where I eventually got to, but, you know, he was just further along. But, okay, I can do more than I'm doing. So it's just a similar thing. Like, you see people and it, it you know, drives you to, you know, do more on your own with your own time. So, yeah, I, I re- that resonates with me, what you said, and I appreciate that. I, didn't, I never really knew that it had affected anybody when I left. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty cool to see, man. Because I, I was over there for for a while, and I got to see it. So, yeah, that's definitely cool. Um, so you've already touched on what you've been doing to stay productive right now. Um, what, so what do you want from life after prison? Anything? And it's not not one, you know, not career, not family, and just anything. Yeah. You know, it can be anything at all. What what is it that you're? You know, this is a good question. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I've been away from my family for two decades. You know, and uh, my kids especially, and I. You know, I love my kids and I love my family. And I, something I've realized over the years is how much you value <laughs> your family more than ever the longer you're away yeah. from. And it just it really resonates. Uh, my aunt and uncle have been so supportive and been there for me throughout all this. And uh, I just I know that those that have been there for me throughout the years, it just it's been insurmountable. I can't even describe to you the impact that that's had because I I. I think people don't realize how important having a support system really is. And in prison especially, you really need that because without it, it's really difficult. I'm not going to say impossible, but very difficult to succeed without having people out there to keep you encouraged and to keep you focused and to, to motivate you. And I, my family was show, showed me so much of that. My kids would always come to visit. And my son is of age now, and he's doing really well, and he's got a good job. And... Uh, he's, it's really interesting because he's so much like me in a lot of ways, but just a better kid, of course, you know, and uh, it's really nice and motivating. I, I, when I get out, I want to spend a lot of time uh, with him and uh, take him to places and uh, do a lot of traveling, uh, just spending time with him. And I think at this point in my life, I feel like um, I've done I've done a lot, you know, in, my, in the course of two, two decades, and I kind of feel at this point I... I really wanted to settle down, get a, um, a decent job, and just uh, stay focused. And we really enjoy the time with them and just kind of appreciate that more than anything else because I think that's something I didn't do when I was younger, and I didn't understand the value of family. So it's for me, I think that's the most important thing when I get out is just spending time with them. 
a friend of mine, he's he's a teacher at MATC, and he's always, he's been encouraging me to, to when I get out to come work at, at MATC as a teacher, and um, so I'm really kind of really motivated in that area. If that ever happens, I mean, I'm I'm a little skeptic of that, but uh, apparently, I guess you can work for the college system as a teacher with a felony, and uh, as long as you don't have certain felonies and stuff like that, so I'm not prohibited or restricted. So it'd be an interesting uh, journey if I can get get through that door. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure we'll have some doors open for you by the time you get out. You got you got too many things that are valuable to uh, organizations to to not. Well, hey, listen, um, it's going to end on us. So, uh, mm-hmm. listen, Dan, it was awesome, man. Thanks for the interview. I appreciate it. And uh, appreciate everything you're doing, man. Appreciate you out here. What stands out for me most in my interview with John isn't his accomplishments or his positive attitude after so much time in or even my personal knowledge of his greatness as a human being. What I can't and never will get over is that he was given 26 years in prison with 15 more years to serve upon release for a robbery with a BB gun. And there has been no way for him to get out early until later this year, after 21 years in. The chance he has at early release this year is far from certain, even with all he's done to show he is not the same person he was when he went in. Think about it. I've heard several times since my release, six and a half months ago, that I need to slow down and that things take time. I often smile and acknowledge the reasoning behind such statements, But inside always, and occasionally in my response, I push back. Patience and balance are very important. It's hard to spend 17 years in prison and not internalize those truths. But on the flip side, it's hard to spend 17 years in prison daily with people like John and not have a sense of urgency in this work that I am moved to dedicate my life to. Safety and justice work. Genuine community wholeness development. Efforts at empathy and humanizing. Every day I think of people like John and those who could be like him given the circumstances that have allowed any of us to realize and pursue our potential as builders, uniters, teachers, and community members. Everyone has to work at the speed they can handle, and sometimes I feel life telling me to ease off the pedal, and I listen. But I think we sell ourselves short too often and have gotten used to a pace of progress that really has two more gears. We are just scared or too comfortable in our jobs and freedoms to engage, I encourage all of us in this work to challenge our capabilities to move faster and push back more against stagnation. There is a monster destroying lives every day with no concern, and it sees all of us equally. My experience with it and those it has left in its wake on both the carceral and the crime survivor side motivates me powerfully. Although I am free, I am all in. If you are looking for more content like this from others in the reentry reform ecosystem in Wisconsin, check out the media partners listed on our Facebook page, linked in the episode notes. The Justified Anger Podcast, an initiative of the Nehemiah Center, brings you stories and conversations from staff and the community that inspire, educate, and engage toward justice action. They have most recently done a series on COVID-19 in the Wisconsin prison system. The Both Sides of the Fence Podcast, by street veteran Jamie DeJesus and his former supervision agent, Kim Malone, dives into details on what the system is like from both sides of the fence. Expo Radio by Rob Schreiber interviews different guests to talk about the Wisconsin criminal justice system from different angles. And soundbars.com, that's two Zs, soundbarzz.com, is a free platform for listeners and media creators specifically around content discussing reentry reform efforts worldwide. Thank you for listening. Peace.